Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Tonight, I'm joined by Dr. Willie Badat and Dr. Andrea Hernandez. Dr. Willie, Dr. Andrea, they are married, so this will be a fun kind of a couple session that we'll walk through. Willie is an attending veterinarian at Western University of Health Sciences and the Director of Animal Resources and one of the most knowledgeable DVM finance nerds that I know. We've talked several times offline. I've been looking forward to this. Dr. Andrea, I have not had the pleasure of meeting until just before we clicked record. She's a veterinarian dermatologist resident and puts Willie and I to shame when it comes to Instagram. She's got <laughs> fire, fire posts, stories, content, and we're going to bounce around to a lot of different topics on just both of them individually, but then as a family unit as well. And so Willie and Andrea, I wanted to just say thanks for coming on the show and carving out some time for me. Thank you for having us. We're excited. So Andrew, I want to start with you since I don't know you quite as well, but I just wanted to hear a little bit about your journey in vet med and kind of where the passion for being so very specific in a niche around dermatology. And I know I've gotten to know Willie, as I alluded to just a second ago, but just really wanted to hear your story and allow you to share a little bit about kind of your background and how you got to where you're at today. Awesome. Sure. So I graduated from Tuskegee University. That's where I got my DVM. And, and that's where we met. And that's where we met. Yes. <laughs> who asked and, who out? I got to stop right there. We'll stop right there since the first couple. So how did it transpire? Well, we met at a tailgate. I was a first year and he was a fourth year vet student. And he pretty much was the one who organized the tailgates, invited Puerto Rican students, Latino students, the new ones that would come to the school because Tuskegee is one of the few schools that actually admits like a lot of minorities, especially Latinos. So that was fun. And that's where we met at a tailgate and then we hit it off right away. <laughs> I love it. All right. I'm done interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty much I graduated from Tuskegee and my interest in dermatology, it kind of sparked from when I was an undergraduate student, I was shadowing in Puerto Rico. We have a really large stray animal population back at home. So we get a lot of, it sounds terrible, but mangy looking animals come to the clinic all the time. And I remember working with one of my mentors back then. And he was like, oh, we really need a dermatologist here. We get so many germ cases here. And that kind of like planted a tiny seed back then. But it wasn't until my fourth year of vet school where I did the clinical rotations and I did the dermatology rotation with the dermatologist at Tuskegee, Dr. Tamisha Hubbard, that she's amazing. And she's basically become my derm mommy, I call her, because she's been pretty much helping me throughout my journey. And then I done internships. I started with a rotating internship, then did general practice for a year. Then I proceeded to do a dermatology internship, and now I'm doing a residency in dermatology. And any memorable story going through the different steps of one that you think would be particularly interesting to share? I'm sure there's plenty of good ones through your experiences thus far. So pretty much, I would probably say now during my residency, it's been really heartwarming. And I can't really say one story in particular because it's been so many, but mostly the feedback that I get from clients telling me like, wow, like the changes that I see in my pet because they come in and they're so miserable and the quality of life of the client is also severely affected when they have a super itchy dog or a super itchy cat in their home. Like they won't let them sleep. They can't sleep through the night. And the feedback that I get after that initial visit, when I do 
pretty much I make changes in their treatment plans. I give them hope pretty much because a lot of times like when they come to a specialist, it's a train wreck of a case that the primary care veterinarian has done a lot of things and nothing really works. So I look at it as a, more of like a teamwork type of thing with the clients. The feedback that I get of how happy they are that their pets has a better quality of life. They have a better quality of life. So pretty much I would say the majority of the cases, that's the feedback that I get that it's very heartwarming and makes me love my specialty even more. Um, thank you for sharing. Willie, I wanted to jump to you. You're definitely a busy guy. We've had several, several conversations as I allude to, but kind of walk us through what a week looks like in your shoes and the work that you're doing at Western and some of the other things that you're doing as well. So I've, you know, I went to Tuskegee, did an intern, a rotating internship, did a lab animal residency, and now I'm a lab animal specialist. So being the attending veterinarian pretty much means that I oversee any research that uses animals at the university. So at least let's give an example for today. We had some swine surgeries. So I was helping with pig surgeries this morning. I review uh, quite a few protocols uh, through the IACUC, uh, the Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee. And on my pastime, I do a lot of finance stuff. I do consultations. We recently talked about helping people with contract negotiations. So that's a pretty recent passion that I have. And it's awesome. It's been so rewarding. Let's dive into that a little bit. I didn't know exactly how the structure of the different questions I wanted to ask and go through, but I know that's been a passion. I know you recently kind of shared with a lot of different students around the idea of contracts, how to negotiate, thinking about salary, thinking about benefits, and just really trying to set up people for success. And I think anyone that's listened to this podcast knows, right, there's so many job openings for veterinarians and there's a little bit more leverage than maybe there has been in the past, which you don't want to abuse that leverage. You want to use it intelligently because you still have to work with those people if they do agree to your terms and they you don't want to start off on the wrong foot. But where do you think would be a good spot to start with thinking through that and how have you kind of helped coach and guide and encourage people as they go through that process? Well, I guess I have to start with why my, this interest and we are a two-bed household, two-debt student-employed household, and we're talking about over 400K in student loans. So certainly finances was something that I had to learn. We need to figure out how to tackle those loans. Um, so finally, so I graduated in 2014 from vet school, but I finally started making money in 2018 because, again, I did an internship, residency, getting paid, you know, 40K max or 45K, whatever I got paid during my residency. So when I started making money in 2018 after my residency, that's when I started, okay, I've been living pretty frugally since vet school. And I kept doing it through when I started, I worked at University of Florida. I know you're a huge fan of their football team. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I started there and then kind of figured, okay, now I have this extra money. I need to figure out how to save it. Do I pay my student loans? Do I invest it and whatnot? And that's where it all started. So I have made plenty of financial mistakes. I have helped several people with their contract negotiations. So that's what I really like right now in the position that I'm at, that I could tell people from experience, like, this is what I have done. And this is what I consider to be the right thing to do. As same as contracts negotiation, like I'm amazed as to how sometimes we're so timid about asking for something else or something additional. 
And recently with the, how the job market is, everybody's saying yes. By every contract I have helped negotiate, we have gotten more. And when I say more, it's a lot more. You go back and think through if you're willing to share. So you talked about, you know, you've made the mistakes. If you could highlight one, again, you learn, you move through it. And for you, it's great because people can be like, hey, don't make the same mistake I did. And everyone's going to make them regardless. But is there anything specifically that you'd highlight as a mistake? You're like, man, I wish people would understand. I did this, but when I reflect, I wish I would have handled that slightly different. So I told you a little bit about you should do an episode about relief work. So during my internship, even though I had limited free time, I did, I did some relief work. And it was awesome. You know, I was getting paid nothing in my internship, but I was able to make, let's say, $80, $90 an hour in relief work. So in GP, which was so easy compared to my internship. And then taxes came up and I owned taxes and all the money I made through that. And it was so disappointing. I tried to do my own taxes. Then I went to one of the offices of the company that I use for tax preparation and nothing happened. They actually charged me more to prepare my taxes. At the end of the day, I paid them, but kind of realized like, huh, I need to understand this tax game. But I was doing my residency, so I really didn't care. I actually drove for Uber during my residency, and that also helped me kind of figure out, okay, I need to start writing down these deductions. Like for Uber per se, mileage. You can deduct mileage pretty easily. So I started writing down all the mileage, all the minor things that I could think of, my percentage of my cell phone bill and whatnot. So that, again, that kind of started, okay, that's how I play the tax game, especially if you're getting paid as an independent contractor. In 2018, we were living in Florida and Andrea wasn't happy with the position that she had. So I pretty much told her, you know, I've done the relief stuff before. I'm pretty sure I could find you uh, something to do and you'll have a more flexible job. And yeah, she went ahead and tried relief work. She got paid like 50% more doing relief work. And that's when we started our first LLC for relief work. And that has made it so much easier to manage our finances because it's a separate account. Everything that comes in and any deductions come out are from that same account. So bookkeeping wise, it has kept it really simple. Yep. I love that. The first time that you realize, ooh, should have paid quarterly taxes. You usually make that mistake once. And yes, it does happen. A lot of people get burned by that. So I think that's a fantastic example of one that's there. Going back to something else that you talked about as far as the negotiation and significant amounts. And I know it's typically been working with Western students. I know there's probably other folks outside of that as well. When you say significant, if you feel comfortable and you can use a percentage, you can use a dollar amount, whatever you want to tell, what does significant mean? And I agree with you because I do think in general, veterinarians undervalue their skill set, undervalue themselves, are too meek, too timid to say, actually, I'm worth that because you 100% are worth it already. Like, just go ask for it. The worst they're going to say is no. Okay. That didn't hurt yeah. so bad. <laughs> and maybe they'll still come to a number that makes sense. At the end of the day, again, like you talked about, two veterinary household happens a lot, right? You have debt to pay. It's not like you're doing something terrible with this money, right? It's going to go and find a good spot, good home, and you're going to work for it. And you are going to make them significant amount, significant amount of money overall too. And we can get into that in a second. But if you're willing to share, kind of maybe give an example of what it was before and maybe what it was after and just the areas that you've seen some flexibility. And again, it's going to depend on 
corporate versus private practice, different corporate are going to have different arrangements and agreements. Some people are going to be more apt to negotiate. I'm not asking to say which one's better and which ones are worse, but you can just kind of give some examples like that'd be helpful. But, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to hit on people, but what you said is exactly right. So the least I have negotiated that I can remember is a difference of salary of $11,000. And I knew that was the only thing we could negotiate because it was a position in academia. They already have all of their benefit packages really structured. So it's really hard to negotiate anything other than that maybe you can negotiate relocation stipends. Sometimes they, you know, they'll say it's too difficult or whatnot, but academia will probably be the most difficult you can bargain with. Private practice-wise, what I tell people is anything in the contract that has a number, you can probably change that number, except for a date or something like that. But otherwise, you can change that number, be it days off, 401k match, you name it. It's anything that has a number. You can probably, the radius on the non-compete, I hate non-compete, so I'm always really targeting that. So anything like that, you can negotiate that for sure. Perfect. Yeah, it is absolutely something that is there. And I was just chatting with a client. She was thinking about possibly working for a private practice at a consolidator. It was going to be across the country and, hey, they're only going to pay this much to move and the salary and the cost of living and all these different things. And I was like, there's a lot of room probably for you to ask for more. And I bet they would do it now, you know, if you feel comfortable, but just encouraging someone to ask. Because for me, if you say, hey, that's not a good enough offer, I'm just going to move forward. But you like the people, I would encourage you to go back. As someone that runs a business that is a small business, I would much rather, if I have a great candidate, know where they need to be and then figure out if we can do it. And like, at least come back and tell me, don't just say, nope, going to go somewhere else. Like give them the opportunity, especially especially because we hear so much about workplace toxicity and terrible environments and all this other stuff. So if you found good people and maybe the money doesn't match, and again, that is an important part of accepting a job. It is unfortunate, right? That you have to get paid and pay bills and all this stuff, but you have to then go back and just say, Hey, I would really like this opportunity, but I need to be at this level, right? Or I need to get here because of these other obligations that I have. It's not being greedy. It's just real life. So I love what you're doing, Willie, with that. And I know a lot of people are certainly having, I think, the ability to save and pay off debt and do all kinds of things to hopefully live a better life because of it. Andrea, I wanted to come back to you and talk a little bit about Instagram and some of the stuff that you're doing there as far as the growth that you've seen. And also, like, has it opened any doors? Has it led to other conversations? Has it led to networking? Because I think the answer is going to be yes, but I would like to kind of hear from you like what that's looked like. Because again, you put Willie and I to shame and I know that I'm like the worst <laughs> Instagram person ever, but thank you for those that follow me and suffer through. <laughs> so thank you for the compliment. Honestly, I kind of like just started doing random vet educational videos and then I just rolled with it. I remember even the first video that I ever did, it was back in December, I think. And I wasn't even hesitant to post it. I remember sending it to my brother and I was like, is this cool or is this weird? What do you think about this? He's like, do it, just do it. And then it started blowing up after that. So I feel like it's been a very slow process for sure. I'm still kind of trying to figure out my audience because I have like a very big mix in my audience. Not only do I have pet owners, but I also have a lot of vet students. I have a lot of colleagues, uh, GPs that they just want to, learn more about dermatology and things like that. So I've 
try to do content that targets those three things. So I do client videos or client posts or like pet owner posts, um, things specifically about dermatology. And sometimes it's more basic things like that. It's not a level of a specialist, but also then I also do certain posts about weird diseases or things like that, that you can encounter in practice or things like that. And I try to pretty much trend through that, like the things that I've gotten most feedback on along the past several months. Like I've noticed that people like the funny things, like the short quirky videos. They don't like the long posts or things like that. And I just like pretty much just throw whatever I feel like throwing at the moment or what I get inspired on. He always makes fun of me saying like, oh, you're always on TikTok, blah, blah. I'm like, well, I'm looking at TikTok to see if I can find any inspiration, see what's trending right now so I can make a video of my own. So that's pretty much what I've done. Yeah. (laughs) And to answer your question, I just remembered that if it's opened doors, certainly it has, especially for networking. I found that it has opened a lot of opportunities for me to teach to students. And that's something that I'm really passionate about, especially for vet students back at home or undergrad students back in Puerto Rico that are interested in veterinary medicine, because back in Puerto Rico, we don't have a veterinary school period. So there's very limited information and programs. And I do remember when I was an undergrad student trying to figure out what do I have to do? How do I have to do these things? So I've done Zoom meetings with like groups of students, like clubs and things like that. And they're like, oh, can you talk about veterinary dermatology? Or can you talk about how to get a residency? What should I do starting now? And things like that. So it's definitely opened a lot of doors. And I've also met a lot of veterinarians, not only across the country, but veterinary dermatology specialist in South America, which has been pretty cool. So it's been an awesome tool to use Instagram for that. Yeah. Anytime you're able to be like authentically you and you talk about like the quirky or funny, like if it's you and that's your personality, people are going to resonate with that versus something that feels like forced or different. So yeah. And then I think the other key thing that you talked about, and I would say it's a really good learning tool to understand like what does marketing do? And I think you highlighted three things. So even if you don't ever use this, it's like knowing your audience. So you kind of said, these are the three people I'm trying to talk to. If I create content, these are the three people I'm going to talk to. If it's not targeting one of these three, I probably shouldn't make it or I need to tweak it so that it is fitting that. I think that's genius. Like the more narrow that you can make that, the better. Case in point, this podcast, if you're listening to this, this podcast is not made for mass audiences. I know I'm not going to be Joe Rogan and get $100 million on Spotify for them to buy the show. So like, that's not the goal, right? The goal is you want to speak to the audience and be authentically you. So yeah, I give you credit for that. That's amazing. And doing it since just December, if you do it consistently, like you'll see it. And you're going to crack 3000 here before too long as far as followers. <laughs> this podcast can be the jump to get over that. No. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what we can do. So go follow. We'll have the link to your Instagram handle in the show notes as well. But I think there's a lot of good content that you talked about also. And I've said this so many times in this podcast, but the swipe method of steal with integrity and pride. So just go look at what other people are doing and then mold it into what you're doing. Same thing. Like you see a funny meme or the create challenge or whatever. Like I joked (laughs) with my wife. I was like, oh, I should do this because she's like, yeah, that's don't do that. Please. Uh, I was like, nah, that's not my audience. Like it's not going to work. So, but yeah, being able to, to kind of take things that you see trending elsewhere and creating it into something that's that specific, I think is great. 
So I wanted to go back, and this is kind of, I guess, jointly for both of you from a financial perspective of just kind of the conversations that you've both had and thinking through of just kind of the personal journey. You talked about student loans and thinking through that. Was that kind of the genesis for getting started? Was just like, how do you pay these back? We got this kind of burden. And then what maybe you've learned along the way? Well, funny stories. We're both from Puerto Rico, but we met in med school in Alabama. And we live like 20 minutes away in Puerto Rico. So she actually met my sister in undergrad. I just mentioned that to say that Andrea and I have been together for a long time. But again, I was a fourth year student. She was first year. So after I left for my internship and residency, we were separated for three years. So long distance relationship. We finally met up in Florida. Well, I guess it was four years after that. Yeah. She did her internship and I had my last year of residency. Then we finally met in Florida where we lived together. And I thought like we were balling because Florida where I was working at USA, Florida is pretty low cost of living place. So we were now living together. We would always have two rents. So again, it was just like, oh man, we're balling here. But then she got an internship up in Illinois. So we again separated kind of two separate incomes. I was helping her quite a bit because her income in the internship was extremely low. Couldn't even like match rent almost. So yeah, but then again, now we moved, but we moved to a very high cost of living place. And looking at, of course, I have a spreadsheet with our budget. So I sat down with her and said, like, this is our expenses. They're pretty high right now. And also, like, we need to figure out this student loan thing. Like, what are we going to do? Because currently, as far as the income to debt ratio, our debt is pretty high compared to our income. But whenever Andrea finishes, I expect her salary to increase significantly. So I've been trying to figure out, okay, is that a point where we should start considering and paying off loans right now because when we get to that point we'll probably pay them pretty quick but i work for a nonprofit organization so i'm also seeking public service loan forgiveness right now i'm three years in it's 10 years so hopefully i'll keep doing that so once again for me paying off loans doesn't make sense for her we're still debating but we got that consult we mentioned it earlier we had that consult with travis hornsby and he pretty much said what I knew already. He actually helped me with one loan from undergrad that I didn't know didn't qualify for PSLF. So that was great. Told me to consolidate and whatnot. But again, that kind of helped us with the budget. And since then, I have, I passed boards after that. And I started reading a lot, like books, like I don't read for nothing, but I started reading financial books like crazy. Then I got into real estate and started reading real estate books. And our finances really have not changed that much. We're maxing out all of our retirement accounts and anything that's left, we like to travel. Unfortunately, the pandemic hasn't helped us with that. And Andrea really doesn't have much days off in the residency, but otherwise we like to visit places, travel, eat out. So that extra money, that's what we use it for. But otherwise I feel good that I'm putting money towards a tax bond if we ever get to that point putting money towards retirement and whatnot. So we pay ourselves first and then we enjoy whatever is left. Love that. Anything, Andrea, from your perspective, as far as kind of like going from maybe where you were before you and Willie were together, as far as what you've learned now, I'm sure there's been kind of an evolution and growth there. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like him learning about finances and everything, like it's, I've had no other choice but to learn as well, because he's been very, very invested in it. And not only that, but he's helped a bunch of our great friends. And so I've like heard of, and I've heard about those conversations as well, mainly because I'm interested in learning and trying to like be better myself as well. And yeah, definitely here like we've been doing pretty okay now with our financial plan and everything despite living in a pretty expensive state because that's usually the biggest question that I get from friends and colleagues like oh how are you managing doing a residency in California because being a resident or an intern it's by default you know that you're going to get paid a really low salary so I mean it's pretty doable with what we've been doing and I always I always recommend everybody to get some type of financial advice or seek some type of financial advisor because it definitely helps a lot, especially in our profession where there's a lot of mental health issues and a lot of time finances are involved in the mental health problems, that it's a really big concern with the high rates of suicide. So learning about this now, I'm always a really big advocate for seeking financial advice somewhere. So whether it's a podcast or hiring somebody or something. Yeah. And I think it's also going back to just a testament to, you know, if you have the interest, like there's a lot of great content out there to consume. And I know it can be hard to know like what's good content, what's bad content. And that's probably a separate conversation, but you definitely can learn. And I think you both are an awesome testament of spending some time and having the interest and wanting to learn and, and then being able to take that knowledge out to others that you care about and make an impact, which is awesome. Andrea, I wanted to come back to you and just give you a little bit of a podium just to talk about maybe what are you most excited about right now, whether it's personal, professional, can be anything. It doesn't have to be vet related, just in general. And I'll just let you share and kind of riff a little bit. And I know there'll probably be something I'll have follow-up questions on, but. (laughs) So pretty much something that I, and we talk about it quite a lot. It's basically like my future and my career and like my specialty, where we're going to go, where we're going to end up in. Cause us two, we're really tied to our family and all of our family basically lives still in Puerto Rico and we're pretty far out from them right now. So to me, it's very important to try for us actually to try to like be a little bit closer to family once I'm done with the residency. So I'm really excited about what the future holds because the company that I'm doing my residency with, it's a private practice company and they have multiple clinics throughout the nation. Um, They're called the Animal Dermatology Clinic. They're mostly based in California, but they have in several other states as well. And they're always looking into expanding. So they're very interested in expanding to Florida. They've recently opened up a clinic in Texas. So I've already talked to them about the possibility of even opening up a satellite clinic in Puerto Rico and that I would love to like get my feet wet over there and be the first veterinary dermatologist in the island. So that's something that I'm super excited about and looking forward to in the near future. And I feel like there is a lot of potential for opening or doing veterinary dermatology services in the island just because of the high amount of dermatology cases that are down there. It's a tropical island. Allergies are a big deal down there. People suffer from horrific allergies down there. The pets should as well. So it'll be pretty exciting to be able to go down there in the future at some point. Absolutely. And I feel like 
I don't know if Willie like kind of mentioned different states that they're trying to expand to Texas, Florida, no state income tax. Like, I mean, I'm just seeing a little bit of a theme here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You're going from California, which is the worst, the most brutal to Texas and Florida. But no, I think that's fantastic. Like in a serious note, to be able to get closer to family because yeah, time zones are tough. Again, we're recording this. It's evening for you. It's a little later evening for me, but it, it's just hard. Like it's really hard. One of my best friends is in the Navy. He's out in Hawaii and it's almost impossible to find time to connect because he's either working or he's then eating. And then I'm like, I'm going to bed and it's like, oh, my night's getting started. And it's like, oh, it's just so hard when you have time zone differences. So yeah, it's super exciting that you have, again, if you found a company that culturally fits and then they're willing to invest in you and say, hey, let's go find the right fit. They want to grow and figure out how do they keep you, right? And that's fantastic. And that's a testament to a lot of good work that I'm sure that you've done and will do for them. And I think one theme that I'm pulling away is like just the ability to get back not only to the profession, but then the people like around you from the communities you come from. It's awesome. And that to me is really, really cool to see. So it'll be fun. As long as you're documenting on Instagram, I can follow. So that's good. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Willie, similar question. You can take it any way that you want as far as things that are exciting, things that you find interesting, whether it's within finance, vet med, completely outside of it. But just wanted to kind of pose that to you as well. I'm just piggybacking on, piggybacking, uh, piggybacking on Andrea. What Andrea said, it's we've been talking about our future and as far as moving to the East Coast, really, we, we really want to move there. It's We're so far from family. But I also have other interests, you know, now with our high savings rate, Nico, I'm considering, I've talked to you about remote work, being able to find something that I can do remotely. Of course, once Andrea is done so that our salary pretty much stays the same as far as what we have right now. But that said, I really want to dedicate more time to the financial consultations because I found it really rewarding to help people. Like Andrea mentioned, anybody of her friends or my friends that are struggling with something because really it's usually a struggle. Like today I received a text like, I'm leaving my job. Can you help me figure this out? And I'm like, for sure, let me know, you know, send me whatever you need to send me and I'll evaluate it. I'm a researcher, so I love to read stuff and could do some background research on on everything. So I I love to help people. But not only that, I would love to do more of my nonprofit work. I'm a co-founder and president of a nonprofit that provides free or local services in Puerto Rico. And I've been trying to travel every two months to the island. So hopefully we live in the East Coast. I could do that more frequently and dedicate more time to that. Yeah, again, that's awesome. What is the nonprofit? Can you give us a name? Expand a little bit more on like the history and what you guys are doing and all that. Oh man, I've done several podcasts and they're all about this nonprofit, but they're actually in Spanish. So it's my first podcast in English. So the nonprofit is called Veterinarians for Puerto Rico. And Just summary of what happened after Hurricane Maria, which is unfortunate that New Orleans got hit by a bad hurricane yesterday. But after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico in 2018, I was, 2017, I'm sorry, 2017, I was in Missouri and there was a colleague of mine that actually went to Tuskegee with me and she was doing internal medicine residency at that point in Missouri. And we met up at her office, kind of struggling, really, like, what are we going to do? We can't talk to our family members. Communication was off. So we decided, hey, let's do what we know. We know veterinary medicine. 
let's figure out we can get in contact with some vets and ask them what can we do to help. And that's what we did. So we started with vaccines because we're worried about sonotic diseases spiking. We have an endemic species that has rabies, leptospirosis, which can be transmitted by water. We're very concerned on where the animals were getting the water, or even the humans were getting the uh, drink, uh, their drinking mm-hmm. water. And we started vaccinating, sending vaccines. We had great companies come to us and say, how can we help? And we started doing that by the beginning of 2018, by January 2018, we had vaccinated over 3,000 animals. And that turned into me, of course, again, I'm a researcher. I looked at the data that we collected through that, and I saw, oh, man, Puerto Rico, which Andrea mentioned it earlier about the stray animal population. I knew that already, but just looking at the data of owned animals that were intact was so surprising that we said, okay, we need to figure out how we can do more spay and neuter initiatives. And since 2018, we have not stopped doing spay and neuter initiatives in the island. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, we kind of stopped. We were doing some stray cats surgeries, but now I've been able to go three times to Puerto Rico since June. And again, it's something I sat down with Andrea talking usually about money and whatnot or future. I told her I need to go to Puerto Rico at least every two months because it lights me up when I go down there and help out. I come so refreshed. I need to keep doing this. Thank you for sharing. I appreciate that. That's an awesome, awesome cause. Now, is there a way for anyone to like donate? How do you get involved? If someone wanted to get involved, obviously I don't have a skill set to be helpful other than <laughs> share information from that standpoint. But is there like a website? You guys raise funding? Is there veterinarians if they wanted to go do this? How could they get involved? Yeah, you can put in your show notes, of course, but the organization is called Veterinarians for Puerto Rico, and you can find us in Instagram and Facebook, and I'll provide the email as well so that anybody can email us. Question that I know you know would be coming, which is asking me anything and everything that you want to know. So this could be a little scary, Willie, because you know me a little bit too well. Maybe you're going to ask something that's a really tough one, but I will open up to both of you. You can both ask any sort of questions that you have for me. You can do something jointly. It can be serious. It can be funny. I've been asking about tattoos, Harry Potter, why I got into veterinary medicine, like all kinds of things. And it's just been fun to kind of ask it. So anything's top of mind? Now that you mentioned it, that was actually one of my questions that I had. Why did you get involved with veterinarians and specifically in veterinary medicine? Yeah, the short version is... Initially, it was through dentistry. So I had a good friend that I went to a small rural high school, uh, graduated of 64 people. So he was one of like three, I think, that got accepted to IU Dental School. And so when he got accepted, he came from a fairly humble upbringing. I did as well, but him even more so than myself. And he was like, hey, you do money stuff. I'm going to have a lot of student loan debt. I want to get married. I want to buy a practice. I want to have kids. Like, I don't really have the flexibility to like make a mistake because like, there's a lot here that I need to take care of. And mm-hmm. just going through that, where I worked at prior, he was definitely not a good fit. It was more like you had to already be rich before you could be a client. So I kind of did what I could to help him on the side, similar to kind of, I think what you do a lot of Willie is like, Hey, here's you know ideas, here's things that you could do. And yeah, from that built relationships that could help support him with where he was at today. And a lot of those relationships also started asking me like, Hey, what about veterinary medicine? And the more I dug into it, and I've shared this candidly, like the advice and guidance in veterinary medicine was like terrible. It was awful. It was basically insurance sales and it wasn't good. 
And so I looked at that and it was told several times by other advisors or people that like that you can't really make a business around serving veterinary medicine. And again, Vincira at a whole, like we have other clients outside of that, but I really focus really specifically on veterinary medicine. We are bringing on someone and he'll be on the podcast later on that is going to continue to build out the veterinary medicine side of the business. And yeah, so for us, it's like, we want to take care of the folks in vet med. And candidly for me, I get to have conversations with great people that actually care and are doing something usually more so than just like the paycheck. And it's interesting just to have those conversations and it's a lot of fun. So that's it. I mean, honestly, it was an opportunity, right? There's not anyone doing it and doing it well. There's people that need help. And if you can design a business model that allows you to meet someone where they're at today and not say, hey, you have to already have a bunch of investable money or assets to help, you can kind of come alongside and say, we'll meet you today and help you get to where you're going. And worst case scenario is they just hopefully can consume some content and learn from there. But yeah, that's kind of the origin story and, and how everything came together. That's awesome. And yeah, like you said, there's not really a lot of people out there that are willing to give advice and help vets. And you're probably aware of the group, Not One More Vet, which is the veterinary support group. I'm a member of that community on Facebook and watching the testimonials that they post on there. It's so devastating a lot of times that every time I hear somebody like you, it's very refreshing and like, oh, there's more people that are more interested in helping out. And so that's great. I mean, I want to plug because again, it's not just me and I want people to know like there are other options that are other great people, but the Veterinary Financial Advisor Network is definitely one of those things that we've started that is a collection of advisors that are committed to A, doing things the right way, that want to get paid for advice and want to help and come alongside you and say, hey, veterinary medicine is somewhere they want to spend time with. And so that network has uh, three other advisors, including myself. We just added someone recently. So his information will get up there. But Ashley, Dan, and Andrew are all great people that I feel conviction in saying, hey, they're great. So find your fit, talk to someone if you're open to those conversations. And again, I think sometimes just having an intro conversation and trying to figure out, hey, I have some questions. And I've had someone that was a student at the University of Tennessee and had an awesome conversation with her. And it was really more just encouragement. Like you're doing a lot of great things. You know, when you get out, here's some things to think about. You'll be in a great spot. But yeah, it's been fun. Willie, any any questions, any thoughts? I actually do have one for you real quick before you ask me because I wrote it down. So I always try to have a notepad next to me where I can jot stuff down. You <laughs> talked about reading and being a researcher. Do you have a favorite book that you would recommend people check out to get started that would be more of an intro or beginning, not like super in the weeds, but something to get them started to start really educating themselves? So I hate to say this because I hear it so often. I'm like, ah, but Rich Step Poor Dad was a really good one. I read The Richest Man in Babylon. That was my first financial book that I read. And I thought it was so basic. And I'm like, I could give this to a sixth grader probably. But then Rich the Poor Dad kind of showing the two sides of the coin as far as somebody that works, let's say, a W-2 job all their life, and that's all they do. As far as the other person, which my question is about you advocating for practice ownership, that person that actually owns something and worked very hard to create what they had, but then they were so financially independent in such a short time. That was incredible. And then they talk about real estate, which the point where I'm at was that I'm maxing out all of my retirement accounts. I'm thinking, what else? How can I diversify? 
So I've been reading some real estate books, mostly bigger pockets. They're a great resource, man. I heard their podcast and been reading some of their books. So if you're ever into real estate, make sure you look into that. But yeah, so yeah, every step for that probably is fun. It's a classic fun. for a reason. It's classic, a classic for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now going back to asking you, first of all, I have wanted to comment. Since you know me a little bit, we talked quite a few times. I wanted to say like, if you have a question, random question that you want to ask me, shoot for it. But let me ask you first. You advocate for practice ownership. And in my shoes, I would love, I always talk to Andrea about this. I would love to own something and practice ownership would be awesome. I love management. As a lab animal vet, again, I manage facilities and oversee facilities and the research that is done plus supervise some employees. So I've always had that management kind of side and would like to own something. But in the past seven years, I have moved four times. So how can a person like me get into practice ownership? Good question. And it's going to go back to a thought and I'm going to see what episode it was on. But Dr. Siva Nalabutu, what episode was Siva on? I'm going to look and we are going to keep this in. We're not going to edit it out as I search. But so the idea behind Siva and kind of his model is around being able to have ownership and not have to be. So it's episode number 80. I'd encourage you to check that out, but it's a franchise model in veterinary medicine where you could be a, I could be Isaiah, non-DVM. Now I wouldn't just in case I didn't have the right team. I think there's some challenges, like it, especially if it's going to be remote. Now that's part of the franchise thing is that they're going to go select really good doctors, compensate them well, structure all that. And I'm not going to speak for kind of their model. I think it's very interesting, right? From an investment standpoint of like what that rate of return could be. So I think that's a really good idea of something that, especially if you like management and you wanted to be involved, you could be involved or you could be more hands-off depending on where you're at. But for someone that has other interests, wants to maybe travel, get away, that way you can still have ownership but not have to be the only person that's ever in there. I think that's one option. I would tell you, you look outside of veterinary medicine, candidly. I would say, look at other businesses that you can earn an income on and from without having to physically be in one location. So you could be anywhere around the world and still be doing something. There are those businesses. And I think you can still leverage the skill set that you have within vet med to do that. I have a client that she it works in industry, but it's more in a marketing role, right? Like she does marketing work. She gets paid well and she can live anywhere that she wants. She just moved across the country and it didn't matter because she already worked remote. So I think there are interesting options for veterinarians to say, you have this fantastic skill set. It does not have to be in a clinical traditional setting, it can be if that's what you love. If you love it, you should do it. But if you don't love that, look at other options. And there are people out there that would need and have a desire for that skill set. So I think you have to be kind of creative. And I'll go back to kind of Andrea, your growth on Instagram and doing stuff like that. Like you can make connections through that that you might never think about until years down the road. And it's like, oh, this person's doing something and they know you. And they're like, oh, someone that can like explain concepts and do things and they can build out this marketing and they can work with us or some other venture that they're wanting to do. And yeah, there is a lot of private equity, venture capital money that is starting to come into veterinary medicine. And there's a lot of growth just in general. So I think as a DVM, it doesn't have to be the same way that it was done for 20 years. And there's that traditional clinical setting. I know I probably am guilty of focusing sometimes too much on that, right? Because I do think there is absolutely a fantastic opportunity for practice ownership in a traditional setting 
where if you look out into the kind of market today, there are going to be, there's going to come a day very soon where consolidators have purchased all the quality hospitals and you as an individual, as a young veterinarian that has some experience that did that startup in that area that built the brand and did their thing is now super attractive and you can have a significant payday. And instead of being like, oh, veterinarians don't make as much money as their human health peers, you're like, hey, look, I could retire at 40 because I started a business and really hustled and sold. And so there's no shame in that. And there are opportunities if that's what you want. I think it goes back to what do you really want? Like what's the lifestyle you want? And then decide from there. But that would be my response. It's long-winded for a simple question. Oh, that's the frank truth. We were talking about that recently that I was telling her, what kind of lifestyle do you want? Because if it's a high-end lifestyle, we probably need to own something. Yeah. So she has this, I don't know how to call it, like she doesn't like ownership. And it's a really kind of a family issue as far as, well, not family issue. Not, well, family, not family issue. So me growing up, my dad owned a small business. My dad owned pretty much like a small neighborhood pharmacy, which here in the States, that's not a thing, like a mom and pop type of shop or something, but it's a pharmacy, a neighborhood pharmacy. And that used to be a really big thing in Puerto Rico in the past. And when my parents, when they were younger, when they got married, it was a pretty lucrative business to have. They had a really good income, but as the years went by and then big companies like Walgreens, CVS started coming in, a lot of these businesses went bankrupt because they couldn't bear with the competition. There was a Walgreens and here's the same thing. There, there's a Walgreens around every corner. So I saw my dad struggle really hard trying to like keep the family afloat, keep the business afloat. And it started affecting his health a lot. It did affect his health eventually. So seeing him and growing in that aspect of owning a business, like I'm a little bit, I wouldn't say scared, but just hesitant to be a business owner just because I have that side and that experience growing up. But I feel like also a lot of people like, and not saying that it was my dad's fault, but maybe he didn't have the tools that we, a lot of people have now. There's a lot of things that you can educate yourself and reach out to there's a lot of help so I've definitely considered it it's not my go-to plan like long-term plan but I've definitely considered it for the future so but it's also really easy to just close the door and ask for a few days off and be able to just leave and not think about it so and again I'm in that environment right now so I love that I'm just like hey I'm leaving for a week like we just came from Puerto Rico and I stayed there for eight days so it's like, I can easily do that right now. As far as ownership, hopefully you build something that can run by itself, but it does take time. Absolutely. It takes time. I appreciate you sharing kind of your experience and what you saw that growing up. Cause it, yeah, I think entrepreneurship and ownership can be painted as this like, oh, magical thing. And it, you just <laughs> do it. And like all of a sudden all this stuff comes as someone, again, it's not easy. And there's a lot of times where myself included, if I would have worked for someone else, I'd be making it a lot more money than what I've made <laughs> thus far, because it's like reinvestment and hiring people and doing different things where you're trying to grow and, and make a sustainable business for the longer term versus, Hey, I'm just going to be an employee and I deserve X. So again, it goes back to the lifestyle. What's it you're trying to build? And then what do you want? And again, for me, it's not always been about maximizing the dollars that I make. Sometimes it's like the freedom and the flexibility and being able to say what I want to say, right. And be having that, like, to me, that's worth something. 
is to be authentic. So going back to kind of the theme of you, even from an Instagram perspective, like being authentic and being able to share your story. Like to me, that's super important. Those are great questions, fun conversations. And <laughs> yeah, I think entrepreneurship can absolutely be glamorized and it's, it's not always that way. But I will also say, regardless of the job you're in, you're always going to be stressed. And it's a lot easier to be stressed if it's something that you're working towards and it's something that has the benefit for you versus your being able to like create something for someone else. Because sometimes the stress, it's like, it's going to be there either way. And it's just trying to balance that and seeing what fits. And you don't have to have all the answers to start a business. You'll never know everything. If you do, you're going to be 80 years old and still be thinking about that, that business okay. start. So if the itch is there, you got to scratch it and do it. You can always go get another job. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So wrapping up, where can people find you? Where should they reach out and connect? Again, I'll include all this in the show notes, but is there any specific areas you would send them to, ways they can connect, share feedback, thoughts? So for me, my Instagram account, my handle, it's A-H-B underscore Dermovet. And then for the Veterinarians of Puerto Rico account. That's um, for PR. Yeah. It's B-E-T-S-F-O-R-P-R. So that's the nonprofit. And for me, I am horrible at Instagram, but I, if you send me a message and want to reach out, I'm always paying attention to it. I just don't really post anything. So I think I'm just Willie B. So W-I-L-I-E-B. Really simple because I opened an account a lot of years ago. I was able to get that name, and but I don't use it that much. <laughs> if you want to reach out to him and send him a message, like if you have any questions, you can reach out. Really responsive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You send me an email and I'll respond within, you know, hopefully within a few hours. Like I'm always, same with social media. Again, I maybe not post much, but I'm always very responsive. And my personal email is willybedot at gmail.com. And I'm happy anybody can email me to ask any questions or whatnot. Absolutely. That's dangerous giving out an email. Going to fill up your inbox. I heard other podcasts that are pretty popular i'm sorry i'm pretty popular and i've like people just give out their phone number and i'm like are you insane but email is easy i'm not gonna give out my phone number. <laughs> i'm not gonna do <laughs> nope i would not encourage you to do that either <laughs> thank you so much for again taking the time this is a lot of fun i know there's a lot that people can take away from it regardless of kind of what topic it was because i know we've bounced around to different things but i really really appreciate the time so thank you so much well, thank you i appreciate it thank you so much We appreciate you having us here. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.